This is In the Trenches, broadcast 40. Welcome to In the Trenches, where entrepreneurs, artists, writers, designers, inventors, warriors, and leaders share their stories of doing the hard, creative work that impacts all of our lives. Let the journey inspire you to do something worthwhile, build something bold, and create your life's work. And now, your host, Tom Morgus. Welcome back, everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. Today's guest is Anthony Chansamuth, the founder of Confidentpreneur.com. And Anthony is also a philanthropist, executive coach, business consultant, and writer. And he's actually trained literally over thousands of business leaders across 14 countries from Laos to Sydney to Toronto and has appeared in on multiple different platforms from Network 10 to TEDx and is a writer for the Huffington Post. And most recently, though, uh, Anthony has actually become the the National Partnerships and Content Manager at Hub Australia. And Hub is a, a co-working space in Australia that I've actually been to. So it's it's a really cool spot. And I'm excited to jump into the conversation today, specifically talking about this concept of co-working spaces and really the future of work. Um, Anthony and I were, were kind of talking about that offline. I'm really excited to start talking about that um, in more depth today. So Anthony, thanks so much for being on the podcast today, man. Oh, I'm excited to be here, Tom. Great. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. I gave a brief bio, but uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what led you to what you're doing today. I'll try and summarize this into like two minutes. Sure. <laughs> I know. Every, I, I always get that from people. I, I probably should figure out something that's not such a broad scope topic, but go yeah. for it. Um, but let me good. just take, yeah, let me take you to the, the, the I'll take you back to 1997, which is kind of where this all started. Um, I was working in the corporate world for uh, Hewlett Packard at the time and um, been in the corporate world for about 10 years after I graduated university. Um, and I graduated with a, a business degree, business focusing uh, on computing and information management, which really is just fancy language for um, being a coder. And I did a lot of programming, uh, web programming at the time, and web design. Uh, and then I got this role. Interesting thing was the year I graduated from university was the year the dot-com busted. Um, and so it took me a year just to get a, like an entry-level role um, working at a help desk for, or you guys will know, AOL. Uh, AOL no longer has a presence in Australia, um, but uh, at the time it was, you know, it's a good, a good opportunity. And I worked in IT at, in help desk for about six months or about a year, and then I then I got this gig at HP, and ended up working in the call center, you know, customer service, uh, and was there for about a year before I moved into uh, a management role, and I managed a team of about ten people, and then in two thousand and three. Um, when I was there, uh, global uh, globalization kind of hit, um, and the team that I was managing was then offshore to India. And as a result of that, I became the trainer who went over to India and trained the new team that was replacing my team in Sydney. So it was kind of a double-edged sword. Well, emotionally, it felt like I was, you know, betraying the people that were that I had to let go, um, and then I had to go and now train these new people. Uh, in India, but it gave me a lot of perspective around what was happening around with with 
industry at the time with what's happening with IT and this new thing that was called outsourcing or, or wasn't outsourcing it, it was more offshoring. Uh, and I saw these trends that were happening at the time in, in the business world. Um, I'm going to go back to 1990, uh, no, it wasn't 1997, it was 2007 when um, I was working as a project manager now, still, still at HP, and I ended up one day in front of my screen as, as I was, you know, which is normal, um, typing away, and I had this massive headache, like, uh, I can't, the best way I could describe this is I felt like I was getting smashed in the head with a baseball bat and, you know, my vision started, started to blur up. I was seeing triple of everything that was on the screen and I just had no clue what was going on. Um, and I asked my colleague next to me, I said, you know, hey, is, uh, what does it feel like to have a migraine? Because I've never had one before. And she said, uh, if, you, if that's what you're feeling, you need to get to a doctor um, as soon as possible. And so I... I guess I I don't even remember how it happened. I ended up at, at the you know at the doctor's office like an hour later. Um, probably shouldn't have been driving if I was. Uh, and then yeah, went through some testing, uh, had some scans done, X-rays done, and whatnot. Uh, and was then t- told I had this growth size of a like a small um, maybe maybe not not as large as a tennis ball, but but. You know, it was large enough that it was noticeable in the right side of my temporal lobe, uh, right side of my brain, and had to go into emergency to to basically cut it out because they didn't know what it was and they were worried that it might have been, you know, cancerous. It could have been anything. Um, and fast forward to like December tenth that year, and I was in this is two thousand six now, and I was uh, yeah in hospital for a five hour surgery, um, and then spent the next sixty days in hospital. Um, being basically treated with antibiotics um, for a bacterial infection which had invaded my brain. Um, it's called cryptococcus for anyone that really cares. Um, and really was forced to evaluate my life at that time. I was doing about 60 hours a week working for this corporation, um, single for about four years and you know, I wasn't in any kind of relationship, um, family stuff that was going on with my, my parents was it was just a mess um, and yeah I was earning good money but had no life to speak of like I couldn't spend it I couldn't go anywhere I was just tied to the job so some people who are listening to this might be able to relate to that um, and so I'm in hospital I'm in depression I didn't know it was called depression at the time but that's what I was feeling um, and just asked myself you know like what the, what the F am I going to do with my life uh, and it was during that moment where I decided, like, first of all, I got to get the hell out of hospital um, and, and walking again. And then from there, I'm going to commit to doing something meaningful um, because that was a very close call. Uh, I could have not walked out of there. I could have, um, you know, walked out blind. Uh, this is what, what the, some of the, some of the, uh, you know, um, risks of the surgery was I could be blind, I could uh, so lose my eyesight, I could work out with half, uh, I could lose half of my mobility. Um, and so I, was, I felt, and I still do every day, uh, that I was quite fortunate to have walked out with full, you know, full mobility, full capacity to think and see and feel. Um, and it's all there and, and I'm okay, you know, and, and health really, that taught me health is number one. In, in prioritizing your life. Um, if you don't take care of your health, everything else falls to shit, uh, mind the language. Um, and 
that's when I, you know, looked at, well, what is it that I really care about? Um, and I went on this exploration. I moved to Canada that year, or the end of that year, so 2007. I booked, I booked a flight to, to Canada and um, one way, and then I basically organized a, tran- a transfer through HP uh, from Sydney to Toronto and then worked, uh, you know, in a new role as a, as a global project manager based out of Toronto um, and spent the next three years in Toronto. Now, this is where there was another twist of fate and about 18 months into my time in Toronto, I lost my job because the, the GFC had hit and they were cutting a lot of project managers and, and, and uh, you know, people in, in the, uh, the team and, and not just across my team, it was across the board. Uh, and, and so I was forced, now I was in a situation where I was in Canada, I had another year left on the visa, uh, but the visa was limited to that company, so I couldn't legally work for anyone else. Um, and I wasn't ready to leave Canada yet. I'd been there for, you know, 18 months and I was actually quite enjoying my lifestyle and I had built this network of new friends um, and was, you know, dating some people and whatnot. And I just felt like, oh, you know, I want to stick around and, and how do I do this considering I can't work for anybody else? Um, and this is where I guess this was my first foray into the world of entrepreneurship uh, and this idea of being, you know, uh, like a self-employed person. Um and so, and that kind of happened by coincidence too, because at the time I was, you know, one thing that I was doing before I left Sydney was I started taking salsa dancing lessons, salsa classes. And um, I continued that when I was in Toronto and was very active. I started to volunteer for one of the dance schools and was teaching, you know, beginner and intermediate salsa. And so my roommate at the time just says to me, hey, Anf, you know, you, you like, you know, you do this sort of thing quite often and you're teaching now. Why don't you, you teach out of our living room? And we just had this space where we could, once if we moved the couches out, it was actually a really good dance floor. Um, and so, I, you know, and someone else recommended, oh, you know, check out this thing called meetup.com. And uh, so I went on meetup and I I created a beginner salsa group and literally within like the space of a week, I had 200 members or, or followers on this meetup group. Uh, and then I started, started promoting, you know, oh, next Sunday, come down to my place. Um, I didn't tell them it was my place. I just said, you know, come down <laughs> to this venue. Um, and they, yeah, and they came down and, uh, That's pretty you know, awesome. Uh, yeah. And, and it was, and this is actually, you know, talking, you know, we were, for those who are listening to this, Tom and I met through this whole pay what you want idea that, that Tom's been um, working on. Um, that was the that was the original first time I tried pay what you want um, because that was, you know, I had my hat out and I said, guys, whatever you want, throw some cash into the hat. You know, I'm happy to teach. Um, and as long as you're getting value and having fun, like that's cool, you know. And I think I had the first class was like five people. I made like a hundred bucks out of that. Um, and for someone who's making, you know, like no job um, and trying to wonder how the heck am I going to pay my rent, um, that was really awesome, you know. And um, so I was doing that every week for like a few months. And then that turned into actually um, someone, again, call it coincidence, call whatever you want. Someone um, 
I mentioned to someone at a co-working space actually in Toronto in uh, at the Center of Social Innovation. I volunteered there one time and in the in the volunteer introductions, they asked, oh, so what do you do for fun? And I said, I actually teach salsa on the weekends out of my living room. And they said, well, are you, would you be keen in coming down to our space and teaching our members some salsa, you know, one afternoon, uh, you know, and that that turned into a, a full, like a an actual six-week gig. And then that turned into a 12-week gig and I'm making like a couple of hundred bucks now teaching salsa out of someone's space, a co-working space. Um, and that was kind of like, yeah, the first venture into entrepreneurism and this idea of you can... You kind of you kind of bend the rules um, and and just think outside. I don't like the phrase because I think outside the box, but that's kind of what it was. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of that, and then from there it led, it led to I was also volunteering now because I had so much time on my hands. I was volunteering for a couple of nonprofits. Um, one as a, as a volunteer photographer, and another as a um, I started to get into the world of social media. Uh, and following Twitter was kind of huge at the time, more so than Facebook. And um, I started to learn how to build a following. Um, so I built over the course of six months, I built like 2,000 followers on my, my, um, on my Twitter handle at the time, which is I'm not using it anymore, but that's, that was my test. Um, and then took that into this, into this organization, which was a nonprofit, and helped them with their marketing campaigns and, and learning how to do – how to pull people or attract people to live events because that's what they were doing they were putting together a national yeah conference and they needed help with that so then i learned about pr i learned about um you know working with media partners um i learned more about strategic partnerships uh and and how to yeah and how to communicate value how to communicate um you know what the mission of the, of the business was and whatnot, um, and we put together like we had five months, four months to put together a two hundred person if, uh, conference in Toronto. Attract some really big name speakers. One one came from New York. I um, know he, he came from the Bay Area, um, uh, and and that was a really cool event. And it showed to me what you could do with social media, what you could do with an online presence. Um, and with some really strong values and a great team, I think I learned that was a huge lesson. Um, like when you have a team of people who are aligned with a common vision, you can really make some amazing things happen. Um, and then from that gig, I got a um, a, um, a part time or contracted gig as a, a social media consultant, um, and that was my the next business um, that I went into working for myself. At this point, I had given up the salsa um, because I, I just I didn't want to. Salsa to me was like a um, not an escape, but it was my way to 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 find presence um, and call it. I, I will. Uh, yeah, I, I think it, it was like my meditation because whenever I danced, like I and I still the same when I, when I dance now. It's it's a way for me to connect to myself, to my body, um, and to the partner that I'm with, and it's fully present. And it, it's more like a. It sounds. It might sound strange, but it is more like a spiritual experience for me. Um, and so I didn't want that to be the business because it was taking that away from me, you know. Um, and uh, but then social media consulting was more. Yeah, I was enjoying that. That was really cool. Uh, and that's kind of was the client I was working with until I moved back to. Oh, and then in that 2009, my 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 mother passed away, and that was a trigger for me to move. Uh, to Laos, which is where I was born, 
and uh, and go and research the family history and to meet the family members that I'd never met. You know, I our family left left that country, left Laos in 1979, the year I was born, and I'd never been back. So that was 30 years later that I went back to in, uh, really investigate my roots uh, and re- get reconnected to the culture and the traditions of being, you know, a Lao person and um, seeing what's going on over there. So, you know, I volunteered whilst I was there um, for a school. Uh, they were a primary and a high school combined. And um, I took all these skills I learned. So I took all these things like social media, um, partnerships, um, project management, all these different things I'd done in my life, took it over there and had this all, you know, as an offer to the school and said, anything you guys need, let's make it happen. Uh, and um, and they loved the fact that I was I had these multi-skills. So, uh, And this is something I tell people today who, who come to me and they ask, oh, what if I have multiple, multiple talents or multiple passions? What do I do that, you know, because I'm struggling trying to find this one passion? My realization was like when you have multi, like when you're multi-talented and you have skill sets in, in different areas, that's actually a strength. And it, it's actually, it's great to embrace that and not, try and force yourself and pigeon yourself into one thing. Um, for some people that works, some people are just experts or, you know, uh, at one thing and, and, and they can do that. You know, that's just their personality type and, and it, it's great. But I've seen a lot of people, entrepreneurs struggle with trying to work out, oh, you know, but I can dance and at the same time I can do marketing and I can do other things and I'm conflicted because I don't know which one is my one passion. And uh, and I call BS on that. I think, no, you're, if you're multi-talented, find a way to make it all work together. Um, and I see that with you, like um, with, with with you, Tom, because I can see that you've got these multiple skill sets, um, and and you apply them quite well, and you f- you found a way to marry some of them. Um, so when you're doing things, it's, I'm looking, I'm I'm very observant at you know, you know, like your training from the military and how you bring that into business, and then how you bring that into you know discipline and all these things that come into it. Um, they're transferable skills, you know. They're not. Yeah. It's not like. I'm going to leave it in the military and I'm going to go and do something else. Like you actually bring it with you. Um, and, and that's, that's me, the mark of success or, or building that success is really embracing that. So, yeah, so now I'm in Laos for a year. I, I launched a, um, uh, a program called Design for Change Lao, which worked with children. It's an empowerment program, which isn't mine. I watched this TED talk. This woman in India had had, had created this thing, uh, this program in in India. Took it to like a hundred schools, uh, and then, or maybe a thousand schools. Um, and it was basically a four step, really simplified um, process for helping kids um, voice their concerns and 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 whatever else, and getting them involved in their communities. Uh, and then bringing, I guess, bringing re- relevance back to education, um, and I used a design thinking me- methodology, um, and I loved that. And I, I showed that to the director of my school because she was looking for new ideas. And I said, "Hey, do you want to give, give this a go?" And she was on board. And so we we did that with my class of thirty sh- English students. I was teaching English to, and then from there, in the space of nine months, it went from one class of thirty students to nine schools, two hundred kids, um, and about twenty different teachers. Um, and was just amazing, like, excuse me, the impact that had purely driven on volunteer force. Like this was what I was doing when I wasn't working. I was having meetings with people. My weekends were spent meetings, putting together programs, um, like documenting everything, um, doing, you know, working with people to do translations into from English to Lao language. It was craziness, man. And that was like eight months in Lao. Um, but the results were remarkable, um, you know, and I was quite 
inspired by that. And this is also, I think, what I learned was when you're inspired by something and really moved by it, um, like you, it, it's true. You know, it's like that saying when you, um, what is it? Um, when you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. Uh, and, and that's kind of what my experience was. You know, I, I really enjoyed that experience. I, I learned how to lead a team. I already knew how to lead a team, but this was a different type of team. Um, and they were all high-performing, highly passionate, highly inspired. And I didn't feel like I had to push them much because they were already on it, you know. Um, and so by the time I had left, they had taken it two to nine schools and, and, and done this. And I had already partnered with a, um, a video maker in, in, in Vientiane where we were living. Um, and he basically created a, an eight-minute documentary short film from the experience, um, which was our plan was then to take that and, and then take it to the government and see if we can get this program into public schools. Uh, unfortunately, that didn't quite get to that step um, because the the person who was the champion who had taken it over after I left, because um, I passed it on to him and his organization, uh, he got abducted as a even more of a political abduction. Um, and so that kind of stopped the project and not just that project, but all projects that were happening through his organization. Um, so that was kind of climate that I was working in, in terms of change work. And so I came back to Australia. That, that's what that's now we're back in Sydney and, you know, after four years abroad and um, restarting, rebooting and going, okay, now what? Um, and I had these social media skills and I, you know, I wanted to do something in that space because, you know, it's 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 the growing industry it's where things are happening and um i met a guy who was brilliant at facebook marketing and i said okay why don't we do something together and um we did we, we ran a, a facebook marketing company for two years um and focused on well i was more i, I focused more on strategy and he focused more on implementation of you know facebook advertising and that kind of stuff um and we ended up doing a lot of talks and and um, building a brand around that and we did we did quite well like we were actually market we had market recognition and even the the larger players in the market kind of knew who we were. Um, and uh, at the beginning of this year, 2014, we we decided to split um, simply because we were moving in different directions. I'm more of a social entrepreneur um, and more, more focused on change work and helping people shift through their problems and, and, and deeper level challenges and struggles um, that they have. And, and I, for me, it's all about leaving a, a lasting legacy and an impact, uh, and helping you know, helping people move through their challenges. Whereas um, the other person, he was interested. He had different interests, and so it just we just naturally um, went in different directions. So that led yeah. So that now we're in 2014, and um, I just that's when I launched Confidentpreneur. Um, it, it had a different name, you know, prior to that, but this was. It just came to me and I thought, okay, this is what, what it is. I, I basically coach people on developing self-confidence and leadership um, and, I, and typically they're, 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 they're entrepreneurs. Um, and so I just put the name together and said, okay, let's call it Confidentpreneur. And um, that's an interesting story in itself because what I've realized, um, as you know, Tom, um, we go through these things called pivots in, in, in the entrepreneur world and, you know, and I realized that um, – something that kept on coming up for me was this, uh, this content of story and storytelling and um, embracing your own story. And more importantly, your, the struggles you've had in your life um, and the challenges that you've had and, and the adversity you've overcome. And 
And when you can embrace that as opposed to, as opposed to running away from it, which is what I was doing for many years, um, you know, because I, I kind of, yeah, the fact that I even told you the story of me going into hospital and having brain surgery, like, you know, a year ago, I wouldn't tell you that story because I felt like to me, it looked to me like it was a weakness uh, in my life and I, I didn't want to share that, you know, and it also got to a point where I got sick of sharing it, you know, because I spent everyone that came and saw me in hospital, like literally for, for 30 days, I was telling that story too. And I just got, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to tell that anymore. You know, it's, it's just, it makes people depressed. Um, I'm not, the, I don't want to depress people. I want to make people happy. Um, and then I came to the realization that actually it's a, quite a powerful um, story and it's a part of me and it's, it's the driver for what I'm doing now, which is helping people in the corporate space um, who are feeling like they're stuck, who are feeling like their careers aren't going anywhere and they have a part of themselves that, you know, whether it's creative, whether it's entrepreneurial, whether it's whatever it is, um, they're feeling like they're not utilizing that. Um, and, you know, I've had to describe to me as, you know, my soul is being sucked away every day I'm at work. And, and I want to help those people because I've been through it, you know, and it, it, my situation is the exact reason why I am the ideal person to work with these people because I've been through it and they're looking for people, someone who's been through it, who can help them and guide them through it. Um, and, and so, you know, now I'm working with managers, you know, um, sort of exec level managers who, who are going through that. Um, I've got a couple, I've got, particularly right now, I've got one client um, who's at a, at a manager level in a major corporation, top five um, um, auditing firm. Uh, global auditing firm and he wants to become a senior manager in the next 12 months so I'm working with him on, on how to do that um, and develop you know social skills and whatever else and, and that confidence that he needs to go there um, I will sort of note here that the only reason I'm doing that within yeah for the longest time I resisted the corporate space I, I left the entrepreneur world sorry I left the corporate world um, and just never looked back. And this year, I kind of had another realization as I was traveling through uh, the US because I went to Portland for World Domination Summit um, back in July. And I had this realization that a lot of entrepreneurs, and I'm, I remember reading one of your blog posts about this, about the entrepreneur journey, Tom, and a lot of startup entrepreneurs or, or wantpreneurs, um, they get into this this trap, this ego trap. And I know because I was there for a good, you know, four years, right, um, is you get you get stuck on the identity and you you get caught on this whole thing like I'm an entrepreneur and um, and what I and it, it at first it's liberating because you you're you you sort of tell yourself, oh you got freedom because now I can choose when I work. I can I can choose my clients. I can choose you know, to travel when I want. I can go and attend any event that I want. Like you have this freedom of time, which you don't necessarily have when you're working for someone else. Um, and so it's easy to buy into that and go, look, I've got freedom, especially if freedom is your number one value, which it is for me. And for a lot, I think it is for a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, and, but then that also is, it can become a trap because what I've noticed was because um, I attended literally hundreds of events, like you know whether I was speaking at them or, or I was just there as a participant. Um, and I'm constantly meeting entrepreneurs and I'm reading blogs and, and all these things. And you know, on the face level, you, you you meet you meet people who seem like they've got it all together, and uh, it's part of the identity that's being promoted, um, and it's become this thing. And and um, but then when you really look into it a whole stack of 
of these people are struggling. They, they're, they're not generating the cash flow they need to be sustainable. So, you know, they're sleeping on couches, they're, um, you know, whatever it is. Uh, and and that, I was one of those guys. I was living with my family, sleeping on the couch for like a good two years when I was running my business, you know, the last business. That's what I was doing. You know, and, I, and and you kind of like wear that as a badge of honor. It's like, you know, yeah, I'm this struggling entrepreneur and, and, and so is everyone else. So this is cool. And, you know, and I, I got to a point, you know, I'm 35 now and I just got to a point where I realized for me, traveling across the States and, and Toronto and Canada, I realized, you know, looking at my, my core values and what I want in my life, that's not it. You know, the badge of, the badge of ego is not what I want. I want to be making meaningful change. I want to make a difference and I also want to build a family and meet someone and I also want to, you know, I want a house and I want these things and it's not about buying into the American or the Australian dream because I think that's, that's bogus too um, but it's really going back to at your core, what do you really care about, you know, and does the that what you're doing, whether it's working for someone else or working for yourself, does it is it actually helping you get closer to that goal or is it pushing you further away from that? And what I realized that holding on to this, this identity and my belief that it was freedom was actually detrimental to the direction I wanted to go in. And so, you know, I realized and it actually happened because of, because of um, that meeting that when we were together, when you were last in Sydney and we met Joe um, Bukowski, you know, and his story around um, the struggles he went through as an entrepreneur and, and, and finding what he needed to do. And, and not just his story, but some other stories that kind of re- like, highlighted to me there's different ways of doing entrepreneurship um there's not just this one path that everyone seems to follow and cash flow this is what i like about what you're doing because you have a very strong message around making sure there's cash flow in your business and you know if you don't have that if you're not selling and if you've got fears around selling stuff uh you need to really evaluate if that's something that that you should be doing and i had a very powerful coaching session before i left sydney for for portland uh with a good friend of mine um, Dev Singh and, and he basically said to me Anth, right, do you actually love coaching because that's what I was doing um, or do you love the business of coaching right? and I had this realization like the pin dropped it's like oh I love coaching I could coach people uh, you know I coach them for free I could do it at, you know any time of the day um, I can just meet a stranger on the train and I could coach them through a problem they're dealing with and I would just do it because I love helping someone work through their shit um, but the business of it, chasing clients, doing marketing campaigns, doing all these different things, totally not what I enjoy. Don't enjoy that at all. Um, and I was like, and that as a result of that, my cash flow was, was, it was struggling. Like I had a couple of clients, but it wasn't at the level I needed it to be to be sustainable. Um, so then I, yeah, it was a huge wake up call for me. And I, I realized, yeah, what I need and what I want is I want a situation where I can coach clients. And do what I that part of it, which I do love, um, but someone else is bringing in the clients to me, and you know, so how does how does that look like? And I observed, I was very open to different ways of that happening, and so and this is how the, this role at Hub Australia came about because um, when I got back from this from from North America, you know, literally the week later, the week following that, I sent a message to someone I knew that was already working at Hub Sydney, um, and said, hey, you know, I love the organization. I love what the values are there. I love this idea of co-working. And um, is there any opportunity there, any part-time gigs happening at this place? And he said, there's nothing part-time, but we're actually looking for a full-time, what they call a business catalyst, 
and he sent me the job profile and I looked at it and I said, and straight away I just said, dude, like that's me. <laughs> um, and it's one of those serendipitous, you know, things that happen. And I applied for this, this role and I had to send through a three minute video uh, application and went through th- two rounds of interviews and like, you know, oh, two weeks later, I'm starting my role at Hub, Hub Australia. Um, and then was here I am getting paid to do what I really enjoy, which is, you know, is networking. Like I love meeting people, um, you know, and just connecting and finding out what, what, what really excites people, what, what makes them tick, um, understanding what their challenges are, you know, um, so, you know, and, and, and I'm bringing in my coaching skill set, you know, so I'm not hired to be a coach yet. Um, but I do have opportunity, like today I'm meeting one of the members, um, you know, within the space, and I'm going to help her like work out some of her, um, challenges around her career because she's, she's, she's highlighted that. And I said, hey, actually, I could help you with that. Um, and it's adding value to them, to, to, to that particular member. And, you know, I've helped other members as well in that capacity, um, but it just amazes me because I really spent a good four years trying to work out how do I make money from connecting people, uh, and I, I couldn't quite crack it uh, until this literally until this this role came up a month ago, uh, and thought, oh my gosh, I'm getting paid to connect people. That's all I do all day, and you know, and it happened, right? It just I think that the message here, the learning is don't get attached to how it will appear um, and how how it looks. You know, because we can get very caught in our mind, like it's got to be this way or it's no other way. Um, like it's got to be entrepreneur or it's got to be employee or whatever. And I'm going, and the way I, I see it is no entrepreneur for me is um, it's a mindset, a belief system, it's a way of being. Um, and you can be, you can totally be an entrepreneur within an organization, right? And there's a, you know, some, some people frame that as an entrepreneur, um, whatever you want to call it, it's about the skill set and how you view problem solving. Because at the end of the day, an entrepreneur is someone who looks at a problem and solves it, right? Um, that's what it comes down to. So that's a long-winded story, but this is how this is my journey, and this is where I'm at now. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, honestly, there's like a, probably a dozen or so topics that I could touch on there, but uh, specifically, I'd like to talk about um, this this concept of the future of work and, and collaboration and co-working spaces. Maybe how all three of those tie together. Obviously, I have collaboration on the mind. I'm, I'm kickstarting or, or actually publicizing, um, which is a Kickstarter esque platform. But I'm 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 crowdfunding my my latest book, which is not ironically called Collaborate. And so this topic is is very much on my mind right now. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on the future of work and, and where you know co working spaces fit in the middle um, or in the midst of that. And then maybe if you have any thoughts on collaboration. Absolutely. Okay. So one thing that really was, um, I, I'd been a member of, of Hub Australia for a year before I, you know, was formally employed by, by the organization. And one thing that drew me to that space was when I was running um, Kaboom, which is a, which is a social media company, uh, we were looking for venues to, to, to do our, our trainings out of. And Hub was one that was on the radar and people were saying, hey, have you checked out this space? And so I went in there and what I, it was very obvious, like from the moment I walked in there was there was a, there was a thriving like vibe to the, to the, to the space. The space itself is quite unique. Um, I know you've, you've been in there, Tom, so you've seen it. Um, uh, it's, it has a very creative slant to it. It's, 
it's it's got a one particular space on, on level two is called the playground, and it's got this. It looks well, it's fake grass, and there's a swing in there, and it just you think what what is this? And it feels like you're in the park, you know. Um, and what I didn't know until very recently was that whole space was co-created by the community by the founding members of 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 Hub Sydney, um, and this is the idea of cl- collaboration. So when Hub Sydney was launched before it was launched. They invo- they actually did it through a crowdfunding campaign, um, and they they basically used the campaign to attract people who resonated with the values of Hub Australia, um, and then they crowdfunded the 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 funds for the launch party. Um, but they also took that as an opportunity to to bring in like if you were um, committing any funds to the campaign, you were actually buying a membership. Right, um, so it was a very clever way for them to find to find their members um, and the founding members. And then once they got that, what they did with the members was say they actually said, "Okay, this is not like hub space. This is your space. You are the founding members. We want you to help us co-create and co-design what this space looks like for you." Um, and so they went through a, a, a process of you know multiple meetings and whatnot, um, and. They they really came out with the visual design for the place and 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 the layout. So you know should, you know if you're ever in Sydney and you walk in there, you'll see what I'm talking about. You can check out the website too. Um, it's just so fascinating to me that um, this is this is available now and this is what this is how how things are created. It's basically bringing people with different concepts, different skill sets, um, different mindsets into a room and saying, hey, let's see what happens if let's see what happens if you guys, if everyone throws up ideas and instead of like um, assuming, uh, you know, a place of one person leading that and, and like just, you know, enforcing a concept or an idea, what if we open it up to everyone contributing in some way um, and, and, and appreciating and respecting difference and diversity uh, and then um, playing with that space and, and seeing what, what can be created, right? And that's really the essence of Hub. Um, hub Australia and, and hub across the globe. There's actually the hub brand is, is in multiple countries. Um, there is a global network, and um, and this comes to back to the idea of this co-working. So what is co-working? Um, it's it's there. Uh, before we go into that, I want to say that there is um, this idea of shared office space that came about. You know, um, was already in place for the corporate market, um, and it's basically you know people in the corporate space, employees or whatnot, who wanted just time out from their 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 offices, or maybe these are people who um, are working remotely, you know, from home, or they're traveling to another city and they just need somewhere to work out of for a day. Um, so you have this what's called a shared office space. Uh, and you can go in and, and you know pay a fee and or annual fee or whatever, and you get a space. Um, very similar to a business lounge or a yeah a business lounge at, at an airport if you're part of any of those any of those um, those lounges. Very similar feel. Very you know like it's it's clean. It, it looks smick. You go in there, you get your coffee and, and whatever. Um, the only the only downside, if you see it as a downside, is they're not very collaborative. They're more about just you going in there and you have a space to, you know, a Wi-Fi outlet and you've got a place to do, do your work for the day um, or when you're in transition. Now, co-working takes that concept. So it's creating a space for a community uh, and then saying, well, it's not just about the space, 
right? It's not just about giving you a physical location to work out, work out of. It's about if you're an entrepreneur or even if you're an entrepreneur or if you work for a, a, an organization of some sort, excuse me, and you're looking to innovate and you're looking to collaborate and get new ideas, to tap into creativity, um, to access the, the, the mental power and, and, and the skill sets of people who generally don't sit in your office or, or you generally don't work with, there is power in that uh, and there, there's great opportunity, right? It's, and um, we've seen that happen in, in you know, um, cafes, like a lot of, certainly a lot of solo entrepreneurs um, and freelancers will go and sit in a cafe for a day uh, and they'll meet people and then, you know, you're talking to someone and all of a sudden, you know, you're doing a partnership or they know someone that you need to connect with and then, you know, that becomes a thing. Um, or you go to a, a, a party somewhere and, you know, and, and you socialize or, or a, a net, you know, and then that becomes a thing. That becomes an opportunity, um, whether it's a client or a new investor or whatever that, that may be or a new job uh, opportunity. So co-working takes that concept you know, someone wrote about this concept. They call it the third space. And, and third space is a place in between home and work where business is really done, right? So it used to be cafes, libraries, um, whatever, like networking events, whatever it may be. Um, and now taking that concept and going, oh, what if we created a space specifically where that we could facilitate um, those interactions and those serendipitous meetings, right? Um, and this is what happens. And, and so, so, and because cost of renting, if you're just starting out, you're not going to rent an office in, in Sydney. Like it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. Um, or if you go to New York City or, or I don't know what it's like in the Bay Area, but it, it, for most people starting out, it's just beyond their budgets. They can't do that. Um, so co-working gives you an affordable way to access space that you can work out of and it gives you a community which is something else a lot of um, startups and entrepreneurs need and are looking for because it's like let's be frank it's boring to work out of home seven, day, seven days a week for a year like you just go nuts you know um, you lack social interaction and I think that's something that's that's critical and vital for your business to really thrive is to be able to connect to real people. You know, yeah, we got virtual and online um, and you can do that. Uh, but nothing, there's studies and research that's been done around like how, how important it is to have the human touch, to sit in front of someone uh, and have real friends. Um, and as much as social media allows us to connect, it also is helping us disconnect um, in a big way. And, and you can go and YouTube this stuff, but you know, so co-working actually allows people to connect um, and collaborate because, you know, particularly in Hub, we're very focused on running social events. So there is like a Thursday, we call it a mixed bag lunch where the whole community comes together. Everyone brings some kind of food or, or drink that can be shared. Um, and it's really having like a huge, you know, 60 person picnic in, in, in our, our lunch space. Um, and that's where business is done. People get sitting this week. I'm sitting next to someone new. I'm saying hello. Uh, I'm sharing my project, working on what you're doing. Uh, and all of a sudden it's like, Hey, I know this person that, that you might be able, you should connect with, or I'm doing this project that um, um, you might want to get involved in. And it becomes this, um, this, this ground, this, this, yeah, this place or, or a space. I like to use the word space. Um, it, it's really a place for co-creation. Um, and it happens like you're just in a lift with someone and you just, you know, you do your, your just a little bit of intro and, and it just works out. Uh, and we have, we're doing a, a Christmas party. We did a Halloween party a few weeks ago. 
And again, these are just opportunities for people to connect. Um, and, and that's the essence of co-working and that's what happens. Yeah. So uh, yeah, a lot of stuff there, but you know, tell me a little bit about, I guess, why do you think it matters? Um, you know, I mean, you've kind of alluded to it. You probably made some points about it too. I, I know you have because uh, in some of the comments that you made earlier. But why do you think collaboration matters? Why do you think this kind of interaction matters in the context of, I suppose, the work that we do? Collaboration matters because we are we we live in a connected society. Right, so with the advent of, of I'm going to go back now to to the, what the internet has done, right? So, um, and internet and social media. So, so we're living in an age of transparency, right? So, what social media does for any organization or any business or entrepreneur, it it allows you to connect to your audience in a way that wasn't there 10, 20 years ago, right? Um, like we used to operate in silos. You had these businesses that ran on its own. Um, back in the 80s, the whole, you know, the view of business was you ran, uh, you ran a company and then you had competition. And so your eyes were really much, much more focused on the competition. And how do you stay on top of the game and how do you get to the top of the game? Um, different way of, different psychological positioning. And then we move into, you know, the explosion of social media. And what this and, and social, what that did was now it kind of leveled the playing field. You didn't have to be a multinational corporation to have reach. You, know, you could be one person sitting at home, you know, or a cafe at a cafe or whatever, um, with a blog um, or a podcast or whatever it is, and you could now literally reach hundreds, thousands, if not millions of of followers and audience anywhere in the world. Um, and so if you had uh, you know, a real service, a real product that you could offer that was of value, um, you could turn that into a viable business. You could turn that into a viable solution that would help people. Um, you know, and, and as a result of that, it's also, and this is why a lot of traditional companies fear social because for them it's like, oh, no, we have to be transparent about our, our, our operations. If we're, if we're um, dumping oil you know, into uh, you know, an ocean somewhere, people are going to find out. You can't hide that stuff anymore. Like that's, that's, that's going to happen. And, and, and this kind of moves with uh, – it also correlates to a shift in consciousness. And, and, and I don't – you know, um, it's interesting. There's a lot of literature around this stuff and psychological study. Uh, but what's happening is we are moving into – uh, what's called there's a guy his name's Aaron Hurst he wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Economy um, and where it used to be more about profit in the 80s and in whatever um, now it's become more of social justice and change we've seen things like the 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 Arab Spring you know um, the, the revolution in Egypt we're seeing things um, that's happening in China we're seeing things and we have this is another thing we're now in a time where we can see what's going on in other parts of the world where we couldn't you know two decades ago or a decade ago um, and 
and this drives the way we do business because we're living in a time where a lot of people, um, looking at Gen Y and younger generations, um, they're growing up in a world which has a lot of problems. So we're talking about global warming. We're talking about the education systems are breaking. We're talking about financial systems are breaking. You know, we had the economy crash um, in multiple, you know, countries like Greece, in in, in whatever you know, it's going on over there. Um, U.S. had obviously a GFC. Uh, all these things are happening. And we have such visibility to all of this. Um, we're seeing a lot of natural disasters. And what that does, it actually brings us back to humanity and really gets us to a place where we're starting to, to look at, well, what does it mean to be, you know, a person growing up in wherever you are uh, and part of a global community, right? It's no longer just local. Local is important. Um, at the same time, we have a view to global because we're looking at, well, what's happening here? And... We can see what our neighbors are doing, right? Um, the lines of political um, division kind of like uh, in a way it's, the internet has, has dissolved those because we can look beyond that. And um, there are a lot of movements. Some of you might, might remember the Occupy movement. Um, you know, there, there's been um, the, the uh, I think they started in Toronto or somewhere there was the, the, the what was it called, like the slut movement or something like that where it was all about, you know, slut shaming and, and whatever it was a huge like feminine-driven um, movement. There's all these things that are going on. And to really bring it back to your question, Tom, um, uh, why is collaboration important? Because this is – if you're not collaborating and if you're operating in silo and you think that you can just um, be, you know, like your own uh, – stand alone on an island somewhere, the reality of, is that you, you can't. Uh, if, if that's if that's your mentality, um, and you don't collaborate, and you you take on the the the, the old school, you know, well, I say old school. I'm talking about the '80s view of like everyone is competition. Um, it, it's it, it, you're not going to succeed. Um, what we've seen now is that the this is not new. This idea of partnerships, you know, the biggest brands, the biggest partnership companies. Have strategic, have strategic partnerships. They worked out how to collaborate, you know. And I, use, I love the example of using Bill Gates and um, uh, and Steve Jobs, right? So Apple and IBM, right? Uh, oh, sorry, Microsoft and Apple, right? To what you know is viewed as comp- competition in the same space, um, but they collaborated on many projects. You can go look at their interviews. Like there was a couple of interviews where, where Jobs and Gates sat next to each other and said, yeah, you know, we've been working on some stuff together because they realized that um, their audience was the same audience and they could actually work together to provide a solution that would help move the industry forward, you know, and this is what co-working it, it, it does. So um, as I mentioned to you before we, we started this, this, this call, Tom, there are 12 co-working spaces in Sydney alone. Uh, and you know, and you can view that we could sit there you know, as as a company and say, "Oh my gosh, look at all, all the competition!" But we don't see it that way at all. We we actually view it as well. Everyone has a place in this space. There are more than there are more than enough people in Sydney to warrant having multiple co working spaces. And each space has its own identity. Each space has its own niche. Each space has its own strengths and weaknesses. And if we work together. Right, um, as a community, a co-working community, we can actually grow this this concept and this idea of future of working. We can actually grow innovation in Australia. We can actually grow collaboration in Australia, and that's for the greater good, right? And this is like back to your question of why collaboration. This is why because beyond 
our individual businesses, there is a greater purpose. And if if you're in a purpose-driven business, I would say that most people are. I don't know why you're in business if you don't have some kind of purpose. Um, then it's like looking at your your competition or your neighbor and saying, well, hey, we've got the same purpose. Our our objective is to do this, change this in some way. Why don't we, if we work together, we can reach that goal faster than if, than if we were to fight and, and compete, right? Um, now, let's, wait, let's work out a way where that can work, you know, because you're great at this and we're great at this, so we can refer clients to each other. We can do, um, not all the time, but we, we can look at how we can win together. And if we're winning together, then also the clientele and the audience we're looking for, they're going to win as well. And that's what it comes down to. That's awesome. Well, you know, the th- we're at a point now where I could probably keep going, but we're we're hitting about the fifty minute mark here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to keep it, try to keep it under an hour. Um, so I just want to, I guess, because there are other questions I would love to ask you, but um, you know, I, I guess if there's something we could wrap it up with, um, focusing on somebody who's interested in getting into the space, um, in, into the context of maybe a collaborative project or something like that trying to connect with other people, kind of what you're doing with the hub and kind of what yeah. happens at co-working spaces, you know, what should they do? So maybe a, a bit of advice to that person who's interested, but maybe, and maybe um, who's introverted. I'm kind of a bit of an introvert, so it was kind of hard for me to get over it, but I'd like to hear what your thoughts are on that and, and how somebody might go about doing that. Is that is that question clear enough? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'm my, it might surprise you, but I'm actually quite introverted myself. Um, and... Uh, and the way to go about that is you work – one thing that I would encourage, a couple of things. First thing is get very clear on who you are, what your strengths are, what your values are because that's your starting point. If you are not clear on that, um, it makes it very challenging to work out who you, who, who to collaborate with. Okay. Um, but that might be your journey. You may be at a stage where you need to go meet different people and, and ask different things. Um, so that will help you get clarity and that's okay too. Right. Um, but what I would suggest if you're introverted, for example, is there's multiple ways to access people, right? Like, like there is online, you can go to, there are a stack of meetup groups, go to meetup.com. Um, and they're just like groups that are created for like-minded, um, people, Right, so that's how I, you know, I started a salsa group. There's like anything from bushwalking to dating to whatever it is that you're into, IT, whatever. It's all there. Um, there's, you know, Facebook. I'm a huge fan of Facebook groups. You know, so whatever industry, passion, interest that you've got, you can do a search for groups on Facebook um, that relate to that particular topic, and you can join those. And that's one way that you can connect. Um, to people as an introvert uh, without having to actually meet them face to face, right? Um, but I would, I would encourage that you get active within the community, whether it's like like a, a live community, like a hub, you know, or a co working space in your local town, um, or and it's not an or. I would say and so you do that, so you get and meet meet people, and then you also and you know, so make an effort at least once a month. You know, I I try to when I was like running my own business, um, I'd, I'd make an effort at least like once a month I'd go and attend some kind of event somewhere right in the city where I knew there'd be other people who were going through similar questions. Um, 
And then I also, I'm also very active on, on Facebook uh, and also on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is, you know, for those who are new to it, it's the professional network. Um, it's, it's where you'll find HR, rec- like recruiters, you'll find CEOs, uh, and you'll find like if you're talking from a professional context and business context, I highly recommend you look at LinkedIn um, just as a social media platform. Um, then you've got Twitter. Twitter is another way to engage. I know I've, I've engaged with, with Tom and other people through Twitter as well. Um, and so you don't like get into a state of overwhelm, just pick one, you know, start with one um, and just get really good at that. Like I did, I got really great at Twitter and then I moved on to Facebook, right? Um, and then I, once I got good at Facebook, then I moved on to LinkedIn. So, you know, don't get into this like, oh, there's 20 different social media. There's actually hundreds of social media platforms. Um, don't get caught up in that. Just pick one thing. Look for groups. There are groups in in in, in on Twitter, on LinkedIn, oh, sorry, on on. LinkedIn, on Facebook. Um, then there are blogs. There's another way to reach out to a community is find out whatever topic you're, in, you're interested in, um, Google topic, and then put blog at the end of it, and it'll give you a, a, a list of blogs. And just go to the top five blogs or whatever and start like reading through whatever's being written and shared and then start commenting because that's another way to engage, right? If you get, you've engaged with the blogger um, who's, you know, is an influencer, influencer of some sort, um, then they can recommend to you, hey, you know, um, you know, here's some ideas for you to connect. Uh, I also like to, to, to email people. Um, you know, I collect a lot of business cards, as you can imagine, as part of my role. Um, and, but I always, my objective is always to take it from a group setting to a one-on-one. So I like to, um, and this is my personal strategy, is I did a lot of interviews. Um, I interviewed actually, I still owe you that interview, Tom, but we, we did an interview when Tom was in Sydney and um, that was my way to reach out to people as well. Um, so I, I would find them on a blog somewhere or someone would refer me to a person um, and, and then I would contact them and say, hey, I'm doing this interview like just to get to know you know different types of entrepreneurs and whatnot um, or I'm interested in this topic, let's have a chat um, or are you open to that? And you know, nine out of ten times people said yes. Um, and I guess the final tip here is use your existing network. So you already have friends, you know, um, and just let them know that you're interested in whatever topic you're interested in. Ask them, and this is a golden question that I think is neglected too many times is who do you know, right? So who do you know that does this? Who do you know that knows about this topic? Um, and put it out there. You know, I love using my Facebook feed for that. And I just put a question and you'll see me, you know, crowdsourcing ideas all the time. Um, and I know Tom does that too. Um, and you just go, you know, um, I have this idea. Who do you know who can help me with this idea? And then you'll be surprised, like, you know, how many people in your current network already know people, um, but you just never asked them and they didn't know you were interested in that. So they couldn't tell you that they knew this. So, you know, um, there's some practical tips for you. That's great stuff. Well, Anthony, I loved it, man. Great conversation. I could pick your brain for several more hours, but I just want to give. Uh, the listeners an opportunity to find out where they can reach out to you and connect with you. So tell us where's the best place for that. Sure. The best place to reach me directly uh, is through confidentpreneur.com. Let me spell that for you. So it's confident, um, C-O-N-F-I-D-E-N-T, preneur, this is one word, P-R-E-N-E-U-R.com. So confidentpreneur, I'm sure Tom will link you to it anyway. Um, and that's probably the best way to engage with me. I'm on Facebook, I'm on uh, LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter. Um, 
also Instagram, so quite active with social media. Um, and then if you want to look at the, the company that I'm working with, the organization, go to Hub Australia, so Hub, H-U-B, Australia.com. Uh, and if that's, that's a really great place to learn more about this co-working concept um, because Hub is like the leader in, in, in co-working in Australia. Um, and we're putting together a national conference later uh, uh, next year, which is going to involve different co-working spaces from all over the place coming in together uh, and having this is like this is again going back to the idea of collaboration it's, it's an opportunity for all these spaces to come together and go how do we move this industry forward um, how can we do better for our clients awesome great stuff well i really appreciate it, anthony and i will make sure everything is linked up in the show notes and so i just want to say thanks again for being on in the trenches it was a pleasure love being in the trenches with you tom man i love your work and uh definitely definitely love we'll have to chat again soon because because i know you're doing some amazing stuff too awesome and that wraps up another broadcast of in the trenches if you're interested in checking out the show notes just head over to tomworkers.com slash podcast to see our latest episodes also i just wanted to give a quick update to fans and listeners of in the trenches and specifically what i'm working on right now for the past two years i've been publishing books my own and others through insurgent publishing my boutique publishing company in the past six months alone, I've helped four individual authors launch their books to bestseller on Amazon, including Dan Norris's The Seven Day Startup and David Nihil's Do You Talk Funny, among others. And both of those books are still top of the charts months after launch. I've learned two important things from all this. Number one, that people still read books. And believe it or not, they're willing to pay for the good ones. And number two, the $60 billion book industry is only getting bigger and the barrier to entry is only getting lower, which means access to this market has never been closer to the average writer, blogger, or author. It is literally within the grasp of anyone who wants it. But you need to know how to approach it the right way, with patience, with a strategy, and with the right implementation and execution. That's why I've been able to launch so many bestsellers, many that are still top of the charts, because we brought great books to the people who wanted and would pay for them. No slimy sales tactics, just honest, powerful marketing. Now, I want to show other authors and publishers how to do the same. Four months ago, I launched the pre-beta to a new super-secret platform called Publishers Empire. In that time, I've helped a dozen authors and publishers start to bring their ideas to life. And with their help and feedback, we've quickly developed what is, in my opinion, the best, most comprehensive publishing training platform in the world. And now I'm getting ready to open the doors up to a few more students. So if you're interested in being part of a tight-knit family of publishers who help and support one another through their writing and publishing projects, if you want access to over 100 HT training videos to take you through the writing and publishing process, if you want access to proven copy and paste book marketing and sales copy, stuff that we've used to launch bestsellers, and if you'd like professional book covers and templates you could plug your own work into and look like a pro in minutes, and if you'd like all of that, while getting the chance to be mentored by me, check out PublishersEmpire.com and sign up to be notified when we launch. That's www.PublishersEmpire.com. I hope to see you there. As always, this is Tom Morcus. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Thank you for listening to In the Trenches. Your creative work doesn't stop here. Join the resistance, the small but growing army of entrepreneurs and artists putting a dent in the world at www.tommorkis.com. 
Never fight alone. Join the resistance. <laughs> <laughs>